Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Dr. Megan Rose, transformational psychologist and eco-spiritual priestess. Part of her work is focused on normalizing the paranormal and helping individuals discover a deeper connection within themselves and others, both human and otherwise. Today, we'll be discussing her book, Spirit Marriage, Intimate Relationships with Other Worldly Beings. Dr. Rose, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, doctor, if you don't mind, can we first just go over your definition of what a spirit marriage is? Sure. Yeah. A spirit marriage is really when a human steps into a bonded, committed relationship with an otherworldly being. Um, I use the term spirit because that's sort of like the broadest catch-all that describes these kinds of beings. It kind of gets at the idea that they're not currently in a human physical incarnation. They may never have been in a human physical incarnation. Um, and it really, the idea of spirit really um, covers categories like angels and deities, beloved dead, elemental beings, ancestors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the list is pretty uh, extensive what these kinds of beings could potentially be. And then marriage, again, is sort of the shorthand that uh, we all kind of understand what a marriage is, right? It's a bonded, committed relationship between one or more people, two or more people. And um, that is typically why I use the term marriage. Um, although there are, are other words that are used uh, in different traditions, like a merge or indwelling or um, a, a, a symbiosis. Uh, but I use the term marriage because that it, it just is kind of the easiest idea of what we're getting at here. Um, two intelligences coming together co-creating something new. I find it interesting that it seems like more and more people, even though they're of opposite sex, are using the term partnership now versus marriage. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, uh, the the idea of partnership is absolutely applicable. Um, and in my research, uh, when I went and um, looked at this practice transculturally, both historically as well as contemporary um, examples, the idea that some sort of ritual had taken place that was typically sort of um, based on human marriage rites or marriage ceremonies um, was one of the defining 
categories or one of the defining um, characteristics of what I was looking at. So I wasn't looking at just someone who had a partnership with a, a, a guiding entity, like a tutelary spirit, uh, but someone who had entered, entered into an intimate bonded relationship through the vehicle of a ritual that bonded them together. And that was sort of one of the things that I was specifically interested in looking at is the, the ritualized practice of this. As a priestess, are you performing marriage ceremonies of these type of marriages? Um, I have. That's a great question. I have yet to be invited to um, officiate a marriage ceremony of someone um, in a spirit marriage uh, type tradition. And, and that's partially because that, you know, um, historically speaking, um, the person who would sort of uh, officiate or, or marry the the practitioner uh, to the spirit sometimes and often in cases is a proxy for that being. And so um, there's a, you know, a very specific uh, practice that uh, really invokes the spirit into the individual that is sort of the host for that, um, for the, that ritual. And so um, I have approached it certainly from a research perspective. I have my own spirit marriage, but I have not yet conducted <laughs> a marriage for someone else. I wasn't really sure what the definition was, and I was expecting the majority of the marriages to be people who were married in this realm, and then when one transitions over, the marriage continues with some type of communication. But from what you're saying, it's people that are either channeling or somehow having some kind of communication with entities on the other side and forming a union. Yes, I mean, certainly the um, spirit marriage of a beloved dead, someone who you were perhaps married to in this life is a possibility. Um, in fact, there is um, some a book that um, I was just looking at that today. Uh, the author's last name is Ford. Um, Ariel Ford, I believe is her name. And she has a whole book about that specific type of spirit marriage where one is sort of on the other side. But I really was was um, drawn into this research um, because of the um, the religious studies aspect of this, where, you know, you sort of look at. Um, the, and the devotional aspect where human will actually marry a deity mm -hmm. and um, step into a deep devotional relationship with that um, deity, sometimes angel. Um, and that is a very, uh, as a religious studies scholar, that was a phenomenon that I was really interested in, in researching. Uh, and so in that case, it is often very much um, centered around the spiritual tradition that one is practicing. Uh, we see it in the tantric context. We see it in the African diaspora context. We see it in the African traditional religious context and witchcraft and, um, you know, on and on and on. The list sort of goes on where humans are stepping into these bonded, committed relationships that are upheld and witnessed by the community and are sort of sanctioned um, and encouraged by the, the ministers, you know, in those specific spiritual traditions. Aren't nuns even considered in Catholicism to be married to Jesus? 
Exactly. Yeah. So nuns will often take a, a wedding ring and vows and espouse themselves to to Jesus and to the church. And and the priests will often marry the church. And so um, this is not an uncommon or unheard of practice. It's just I like to say it's sort of hidden in plain sight. Um, and certainly there are some practices like in Catholicism where that's, you know, in mainstream religion, that's been, uh, accepted and agreed upon, um, practice. And then, you know, in sort of everywhere else, uh, the, the sort of practice of spirit marriages, like, oh no, we're marrying dangerous spirits or whatever. And, and, you know, it's sort of through that lens of, of, uh, the um the domination of you know christianity right that sort of colonialist um proselytizing that says our way is the right way and everybody else is is suspect but you know this tradition dates back to the um sumerian sacred marriage in ancient mesopotamia so it's it's old that's the first in fact that's the first recorded evidence we have it uh, of it, I I venture to guess that it's much older than that. Do you know anybody who have or has any of these marriages? And if you do, are most of the people who do channelers or mediums? Um. So, in my book, I actually um, interview nine different practitioners of spirit marriage from seven different traditions. Uh, so, someone who is in the um, Shakta tantric tradition, someone who is in the vote, uh, actually three people who, four people who are in the Vodou tradition um, at both New Orleans and Haitian Vodou, um, the African traditional religion that comes out of Burkina Faso and the Dagora people, um, a, a, a witchcraft practitioner, fairy seership practitioner, ceremonial magician, um, and those, they are all ministers priests, priestesses, Ungar Mambo, in their respective traditions. And all of those traditions practice spirit marriage. Um, And and they're not the only one, you know, in in each of their traditions, um, there are numerous people that are contemporary practitioners that have these kinds of marriages. And um, as to whether they are channelers or mediums, they have varying degrees of extrasensory perception. Um, Some would fall under the category of channeling and mediumship, but some don't. Some have much more of a uh, devotional type relationship and the extra senses that they're receiving from the spirits are through um, signs or um, synchronicities. Sometimes there's a somatic felt presence where they feel the deity um, or the being uh, around them. Uh, but it's not always a kind of, um, you know, narrowly defined mediumship practice. Are there ever any instances of people having this type of union with extraterrestrials, which are still, you know, non-human intelligences? Yeah, I mean, I have anecdotal stories that I hear all the time of people who are um, engaging in uh, these type of deep committed relationships with, um, again, otherworldly beings, right? It's it, right. the the and 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 we could even dive down the rabbit hole of like 
what are ETs anyway? Right. Um, because exactly. that, you know, when we talk about a conscious universe, we're really talking about layers upon layers upon layers of consciousness. And we have a very sort of hum- um, anthropocentric and sort of earth centric view of, mm-hmm. of our planet. And that's just not necessarily the case when we are thinking of like a living cosmos. So in the beginning, I said that you normalize the paranormal. What do you mean by that? Well, I like to think of the idea of the paranormal as not something that is, you know, sometimes it gets uh, interpreted through this idea of abnormal, right? Mm -hmm. Something that is not innate, um, innately a part of who we are. But we know, you know, I'm a big fan of Dr. Dean Rodden's research on, you know, paranormal and supranormal. And really, we understand that humans have such a, we have a spectrum of of perception. Right. Um, and we have our sort of mundane senses and then we have sort of these extra senses as a highly sensitive person. Um, there are expanded ranges of perception, people who have, um, highly trained and, and developed certain skills. I'm thinking like of a sommelier has the ability to perceive things that are sort of beyond the sort of normal range, um, or high performance athletes, for example, all of these things are normal. All of these things are um, within the range of the spectrum of human perception and consciousness. And when we start talking about um, the paranormal, we tend to think of something that is um, not innately part of our, our ability to perceive. And what I like to say is it is Um, It is beyond, it might be um, a a skill that some folks have in a greater capacity for than others, but it's not anything, it is not abnormal. It's it's part of what we, um, through refinement practices and and certainly um, the folkloric evidences that fairies, the the spirit marriage practices can help refine our sensitization to these realms. And so, you know, normalizing the paranormal for me is just helping people understand that this is uh, within the range of, of spectrum, uh, within the range of the spectrum of human consciousness. And um, all of these things that seem like they are um, beyond or more than are um, muscles developing. And just like, you know, everybody can maybe sit down at a piano and learn how to play chopsticks, but not everyone's going to be a virtuoso pianist Um, that takes practice, takes skill. It takes some innate talent. Right. Um, And so everybody can learn to tap into some of our extraordinary senses, but some of us may have more gifting in that area than others. And those are typically the folks that we think of as channelers and mediums and um, and whatnot. How did you get into this work in the first place? So I did my PhD. um, I wrote my dissertation on spirit marriage specifically. Um, And I went to do the PhD to specifically research this particular phenomena. Um, I have a master's degree in seminary um, from seminary, a seminary called the Graduate Theological Union. 
in religious studies. And I remembered, you know, when I was in uh, my master's training uh, about this story from the Bible from, well, it's in both the Enochian and the um, Genesis account where it talks about the sons of God, the angels saw the daughters of men and thought that they were fair and took unto them wives, right. And spawned this idea of the Nephilim or the giants, these sort of hybrid demigod type beings. And I thought that was fascinating. And I thought, you know, oh, well, that's, you know, an interesting um, cosmological anecdote and um, it pops up in other cultures. Um, and then I started actually having experiences of my own where I was um, being asked repeatedly by a spirit contact to marry it. And I didn't, this is 20 years ago now, but I really had no context for that other than I remembered this story from the Genesis account. And so I went um, to research it and to really in earnest try and understand, um, is this something that is, you know, currently happening or people still doing this? I thought this was a thing, of, you know, that had to do with like uh, origin myths and things like that. And come to find out it is. And there are a number of, you know, as I said, traditions around the world. And I'm still um, getting stories and collecting stories of people who are, you know, like, oh, yes, in our tradition, we practice this and it's known as such and such. Or did you know that the ancient Hawaiian um, hula practitioners uh, um, claim their lineage back to the mating of a human and the goddess Pele? So th there we have it. It's it's within the cultural matrix of many, many different um, traditions and places. If you don't mind sharing, how did this entity first start contacting you and how did you respond? Were you doubting it or questioning what's going on? Yeah, um, the the original uh, encounters were in my dreams. I've always been a very strong dreamer um, and had sort of um, precognitive dreams and lucid dreams um, so I had been, you know, working with my dreams for a number of years and found that there are distinguishable qualities that differentiate like an extraordinary dream from sort of maybe just a mundane dream where I'm rehashing the day. Right. Um, and that those extraordinary dreams were often um, gateways toward to kind of otherworldly visions, contact, travel, whatever. And, um, and this is sort of a known thing, right? In shamanistic and indigenous cultures, dreaming is a really powerful divinatory tool. And I began to have encounters in the dream where this being would appear. And um, for a long time, it was just more of a kind of beloved contact relationship there was some erotic content and then at one point that dream contact um proposed and i thought well this is so strange and unexpected and um and that's when i really began to try and research and understand and i wasn't um 
I wasn't concerned so much as I was sort of like curious. Why, well, why, why would it, why, why would you want to marry me? And, you know, it was perplexing. Um, but, you know, come to find out the, that, you know, impetus, right. The sort of poke in the back to, to like explore this ended up becoming this whole research project that, you know, because at the time this was, like I said, 20 years ago, there really wasn't anything out there on spirit marriage. There still isn't. I mean, my book is one of the first serious, you know, academic and, and scholarly and practitioner studies of this phenomena. Um, And I hope, I pray that it gives rise to more and more research that comes out about this. But at the time um, there really wasn't much that I could find on it. And so that sort of led me to eventually say, well, if I'm not finding anything on this, maybe I need to write something about this and, and um, research it. So really I ended up writing the book um, which just came out this year and and took me almost 10 years to write um, for myself 20 years ago. Like what was the book that I would wanted to have 20 years ago when this was happening? And so I wrote that book. (laughs) That's amazing. And congratulations because you know, that's a great accomplishment. Just, you know, finishing the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel that most of these spirit marriages are actual committed relationships where each being is devoted to each other or can they ever end up even like marriages here where they're open polyamorous relationships yeah so the structure of the marriage you know we here in the west have a very limited narrow idea of what marriage is and looks like you know it's supposed to be this sort of like hollywood fall in love and romance and commitment and monogamy and all these Mm -hmm. ideas that is a very western concept of marriage. And if you look at marriage historically, it has looked like many, many different things. And it has been entered into for many, many different reasons. And I think that that is um, true for spirit marriages as well. In fact, in the African diaspora, the Vodou tradition, you typically are married to more than one spirit. Uh, You know, I think it's rare that you would have just one spirit spouse. Um, In fact, some uh, in those traditions, they're called the Loa, the deities in those traditions. Um, in, in in some cases, if you, you marry one, you're also required to marry another one because they balance each other out. Um, and so, and often, and and many of my co-researchers, the people that I interviewed for the for the book, are have human partners as well. So it's I, I like to say that spirit marriage is sort of inherently a polyamorous kind of practice and then one is sort of doing all the balancing of you know commitments and and that doesn't take away from the depth of devotion that's there it just um you know in some ways it's maybe even a little bit easier to have a human partner and then a spirit partner because you're not vying for like physical time necessarily um but you're still having to allocate an amount of your your daily attention practice whatever to to spend with you know the the spirit partner which may look more like you know daily spiritual rituals and and practices that you do to connect really like what 
Um, it really varies tradition to tradition, but you know, the bare bones is sitting down and having some sort of a contact place, whether it's somewhere in nature or an altar in your home that's devoted to that, that being, and you commune, you spend time every day talking to them. Um, and I like to say that cultivating a, a spirit relationship, whether it leads to the marriage or not, um, is just like cultivating a relationship with another human. The more time you spend with them, getting to know them, the deeper the relationship can potentially go. And so having a daily practice, whatever that looks like for you, um, where where you spend time either um, listening or, you know, you can be reciting certain liturgies or prayers or um, even poems that um, that elicit and evoke the, their energy, their presence um, is one of the typical ways, the sort of spiritual technologies that's used for that and having this contact place whether it's a statue or an altar or uh like i said a place in nature that is one of your go-to place for for connection do you think that the majority of the current spirit marriages are non-western i don't you know i can't say majority because I have not done that census data, right? Mm -hmm. I would say that people from all over the world reach out to me and and let me know that they're in these kinds of relationships. Um, in fact, um, I have a website, spiritmarriage.com, where I collect people's accounts and stories of this, just because that's one of the things that I'm tracking. Um, so you know, I'm also limited by technology. I think that in uh, some of the African traditional religions that practice this, it's a very common thing within their culture and their community, whether they're online talking about this. I mean, there's also the language barrier. Um, but what I can tell you is it's a very... Um, it's it's a practice that has been sort of with us since the very beginning of time and is also um, experiencing kind of a popular resurgence, particularly in the Norse heathen tradition. So um, in that tradition, it's called a god spouse. And um, there are a number of people online talking about God spousing um, in the last five years or so. It's just sort of mushroomed. Um, but that's by no means the only um, the only example of that. Those are just sort of this enclave of folks who practice in this one tradition and who are on computers and talking about this with each other. Obviously, you're an expert in spirit messages. But have you found yourself to be the go-to person on the planet for information about them? For spirit marriage, yes. Uh, I think that there are other people that have written their own, you know, sort of personal accounts. So I'm by, by no means the only person that's written on the topic. But um, because that I, you know, am an academic and looked at um, this phenomena, both historically in anthropology and religion, um, and did a survey there and then talked about contemporary practi practi practices and practitioners. Um, there is, you know, uh, 
this sense that, you know, I may be sort of leading the charge in a way around conversation. And, and I did that really consciously, um, not because I wanted to take on the mantle of like, I'm the expert, but more so I wanted to invite more people to come out and talk about this. Um, I actually have been approached by a number of different other academics in various different fields who said, I'm so glad you wrote this. I haven't felt like I could come out of the closet, so to speak, um, as an academic, but I hold one of these relationships and um, it's really exciting to see somebody talk about this. So really the book is an invitation for conversation from various traditions and disciplines um, and certainly within the um, auspices of religious studies to, to have, to, to talk about this openly and frankly. And um and really to loop in the idea of sacred sexuality, right? And this is, we're talking about spiritual intimacy, right? Intimate relationships. And that intimacy can look like a lot of different things. We're not necessarily just talking about erotic intimacy, although that intimacy, although that can, you know, be part of it. But um, this idea of, of um, opening oneself to that level of connection, um, which looks perhaps slightly different than some of the other things that we're more familiar with, like channeling and possess possession and whatnot. What are the benefits of a spirit marriage that would make someone want to enter into one? Well, one of my teachers, RJ Stewart likes to say, we do things that they can't and they do things that we can't. So, you know, because we're talking about beings that don't by and large have a physicality, our physicality enables us to do things like write books, right? Like I created this book and I am able to like get that information out at to other people who might be having these experiences. So um, that was sort of my end of the spirit marriage bargain. I was going to write this book and I was going to be sort of a mouthpiece to help other people find each other and normalize this experience for themselves. And um, what I've been given and what people are often given in exchange is kind of what we were talking about before, expanded perception, um, the, the synchronicity and the, um, the flow that often comes into one's life as a, as a byproduct of being connected into non-ordinary intelligences. So, you know, in my chronological day-to-day life you know we're bound by space and time in our physical body and when you're connected to otherworldly beings that is not necessarily the case anymore and so I think uh, the my favorite story is just how um when I was finishing the dissertation research this is back in 2019 um I was preparing to do something called a dissertation defense, which is where you present your, you publicly present your research to your committee and to a group of peers. And before I'd even presented, I had a publisher reach out to me and say, I want to publish this research as a book. And, and I, you know, at the time I, I remember maybe like a week or two, prior to being contacted by the publisher, thinking to myself, gosh, 
I'm, I'm really looking forward to turning this dissertation into a book. Mm-hmm. I wonder who the perfect publisher is going to be for this material because it's edgy, but it's academic, but it's sort of, you know, um, very spiritual. And it's got to just be that right fit that's going to uh, really get what I'm doing and let me bring it all together. And it was like, as if by magic, right? The spirits are like, oh, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. And they <laughs> brought this publisher to me who was like really excited about publishing this. And so it was this just this beautiful, like effortless, right, flow. And I think that's a perfect example of how um, how things can when we're when we're in these relationships and when we're showing up and doing our part of the work right writing the dissertation putting the hours in for the research and the labor how then that other way in which things sort of out of the numinous out of the this sort of manifestation can can kind of flow in to us so i would say that was one of one big benefit for me how has the book been received? Um, it has generally been really well received. People are very interested in the subject. You're close to the 50th interview that I've done mm. about the material. So there's a lot of interest. And what's more important to me is that people who are having these experiences are they're hearing the interviews, they're finding the book material, they're able to reach out and say, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one or, oh my gosh, I thought that I was sort of losing my marbles. And then I found your research and I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to be okay. So that, you know, this whole research endeavor has been uh, an act of service really um, Mm -hmm. because that I didn't want people to struggle like I struggled when, when I was first, you know, going through this process 20 some odd years ago. All right. We're talking about spirit marriages and I don't know what to label, you know, non-spirit marriages, you know, maybe just non-spirit marriages or marriage. In the just marriage, that, regular, I'm, regular old marriage. All right. We'll say regular. I was going to say regular old marriage, but I thought maybe that'll be offensive. So I wasn't, I didn't want to use that word, but with regular marriage, there are a lot of couples that, you know, need to work on their marriage and end up in therapy and, and, and so and so. Do you ever find that people in spirit marriages can't really work out too well with their other partner and need help? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if we're talking about a spirit that you know, like, and trust that you've spent the due diligence and the time getting to know and vetting, right? Where this isn't something that you rush into, you know, when the spirit it proposed to me 20 years ago, it took me 15 years before I said yes and, and entered into that bonded commitment because I really wanted to know what I was getting involved in and what I was connecting to. Because in some cases, um, there is no divorce. Once you say yes, and once that that process that you go through, which can be very arduous depending on the spirit that is being wed, um, uh, it's kind of this transformational or alchemical process that the human and the spirit go through to bond to each other. Um, that can't really be undone in some cases. In other cases, it can. And um, one of the my co-researchers, Caroline, um, is a great example of that. She is a, a pantheist, 
and she um, has a, a variety of spirit marriages to different beings, mostly deities in different pantheons. And many of them happened sort of apropos of nothing with very little preparation. And so one of those instances ended up being with a, a being, a deity that um, it turned out over time, she was not super comfortable with. And um, there were just some things about the relationship that weren't working for her. And so she divorced that spirit. She um, petitioned and she is a very talented um, medium and visionary. And so this is sort of like just the water that she swims in. And she's very, you know, gifted in that respect. And so she went before um, a, a being that sort of had a higher pay grade than the one that she was married to and asked for a divorce and that divorce was granted. Um, as for like spirit and marriage counseling, <laughs> Um, I haven't heard of that, but I think that one of the things that um, was uh, was really clear um, and that my co-researchers told me again and again was negotiation. Negotiation was paramount in these relationships. So I'm thinking right now of the Haitian voodoo practitioners where um, uh, Monique is a mambo, which is like a priestess in Haitian voodoo. And her husband is an Ungan or a priest. And each of them separately are married to a constellation of different loa or deities. And in that tradition, when you're married to a spirit, you spend anywhere from one night a month to one night a week devoted to that spirit. And you do not sleep with your human partner. And because that they're each married to a handful of spirits, they sat down and realized that they would never, as a couple, be able to spend the night together because they would have to be, you know, spending all these um, evenings with their various spirit spouses. And so they negotiated and they said, that's not going to work for us as a couple. So what, what are, what can we negotiate with you so that we can spend our time together, but also have our time to cut as a couple. And so I think they negotiated where they spend a few nights each, each month with their respective spouses on those same nights. And then the rest of the time they get to be, you know, in their regular human relationship. And so I think that's such a great example of, you know, the spirits don't expect unrealistic things from mm -hmm. us. And if they do, if they are asking for unrealistic things or things that we're not comfortable with, we might want to think twice before we get involved in a, in a bonded relationship and make a commitment to that kind of a spirit. So really like, you know, taking your time and testing the spirits, right. And really, um, because we, like I said, we bring things to the table. And so it's not just, oh, spirit, I'm so glad you chose me. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm special. It's actually like, what is going to be required of me? And what is going to be expected of me? And, and is creating the boundaries and the negotiations in that relationship, like you would create boundaries and negotiations, hopefully in your human relationships. We get to push back. Do you have a human partner as well? Yeah, I do. Um, I My human partner... Uh, came into my life as a byproduct of my contact with my spirit hmm, companion. Yeah. He said, Hey, I know a good guy for you. Exactly. Well, actually I, I did a ritual and I said, 
to my spirit. And we weren't, you know, we hadn't entered into the the bonded marriage at that point, but with, with the spirit contact, but I said to him, you know, this is grand and great. And wouldn't it be fantastic if you brought somebody into my life who was connected to you, like you're their higher self, right? You're their divine self. And, and they are sort of a, an expression. So it, get, it kind of gets into this idea of, of the divine self and how we each have this divine self that we are here to potentially express and bring that consciousness in through our, our gifts and our offerings um, in the physical. And um, so I very much, you know, work with and subscribe to that idea. And so I said, you know, Hey, Gwen, the name of my um, spirit beloved, I bet there's somebody out there that like keys to your energy and um, it would be fantastic if you drop them into my life. And within about six months of doing that ritual and making that request, I met my current partner and we've been together for 11 years now. When do you think it's appropriate to enter a spirit marriage? Well, traditionally, spirit marriages are only entered into, I won't say only, but are typically entered into when the spirit requests the marriage. That being said, if we have a, a deity that we are in a deep, devoted, loving relationship with, we can woo them. We can say, you know, I want to commit to, you know, you and commit to this relationship in a, in a bonded kind of way. Um, and I think that, you know, the sincere devotee, um, I, I can't imagine, right. The divine saying, no, no, I don't need any more devotees. I'm fine. You know, um, so traditionally they're entered into when the spirit proposes or when uh, 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 you, um, an elder within the community, like a priest or a priestess, sometimes that is the case where the priest or priestess will um, either the spirit will go to them and say, I want to marry so-and-so, or they will, uh, in the Vodou tradition, it's, it's typical to actually um, sort of match make humans with spirits um, to bring certain flavors or certain skills or certain gifts into the community. Um, and that was the case in um, the story of the West African shrine keeper Madrone, where the elder in her community, Maladoma Some, asked her to step into the spirit marriage and become a shrine keeper because that they needed that particular um, shrine built and they needed somebody to step into that merge with that being to hold that for the community that was that was being developed. Do you think spirit marriages or regular marriages are easier? I would say <laughs> it's like uh, it's just like apples and bananas. You know, mm. it's it's two very different things for different purposes. Um, certainly people can come together in human marriages for spiritual development and growth. Um, I don't think that there is... Uh, a black and white answer for that. I mean, easier in what way? Right. Well, you mentioned the word purpose. What is a purpose of a spirit marriage? I think that in my personal opinion, spirit marriages have come about to um, season us as humans, to expand our perception, to bring certain gifts and skills and talents to the forefront 
Um, I think that they happen at key points in our evolution as a species and our conscious evolution so that we can sort of take the next step forward. I think that right now spirit marriages are coming forward strongly because we're at kind of a crisis point here on the planet where we either get our, you know, get ourselves together and step back into co-creative relationship with the planet, or we're going to kind of destroy ourselves. Um, and spirit marriage is one way that, um, that the spirits are getting our attention and saying, Hey, it's not just all about humans, right? There's this whole ecosystem of other beings on this planet, visible and invisible that y'all are part of. And you need to sort of recognize that, um, that we either sink or swim together. And I think spirit marriage is one way that it's sort of refining our subtle senses and teaching us to step back into a beloved relationship with the planet. So the planet's not this thing that we're just dominating and pillaging, but it's our beloved, right? It's our, um, our, our lover, our friend, our confidant that we are, are deeply, deeply um, embedded in more deeper than, you know, most humans think when we're living in our, you know, driving our cars and living in our, our wooden and concrete structures and, you know, sort of divorced from the more ecological or eco-spiritual communion that we can, um, spirit marriage is inviting us back into that level of awareness. If you had a friend that was going to enter into a spirit marriage, would you advise this friend of any precautions of doing so? And if so, Mm. what would they be? I mean, I think that the precaution is really know who you're getting involved with, take your time. Um, in my case, the first thing that I did was I found mentors. I found people that either understood or could embrace what I was going through without judgment. Or in the case of my mentor, Orion Foxwood, um, who already held a spirit marriage himself. And then I surrounded myself with community that was going to um, going to accept that and not, you know, not dismiss these experiences that I was having as either fantasy or psychosis or whatever. And so I, you know, got a um, transpersonal psychologist that I began, you know, working with that has training in indigenous spirituality Um, And she was just instrumental in really helping me navigate um, my own transformative process psychologically and psycho-spiritually that I needed to go through. And then I had Orion and I had a few other um, spiritual mentors. Um, And I think that's kind of, that really helps you discern, right? I talk about the sort of three Ds of spirit marriage, devotion, right? Knowing who and what you're devoting yourself to. And then cultivating discernment. And that's really the divinatory practices of, is it me? Is this my wishful thinking? Is there something else going on? How do I learn to differentiate between the two? And then discipline. And that's what we were talking about earlier with showing up at your contact place every day and having communion. 
We talk about entities quite a bit on my podcast, and sometimes entities, you know, aren't always good. Mm-hmm. How does that play into spirit marriages? And if, if you know much about it, how do we, you know, know that this entity is not something that's nefarious? Well, that's why you do your due diligence, right? It's why you spend time getting to know them and you have the mentors and the people around you that really help you discern. It's why it took me 15 years to say yes, because I wanted to make sure that who and what, first I wanted to know who and what I was stepping into a relationship with. And in the case of my spirit companion, it wasn't like a, a readily known deity, Um, It had these angelic qualities, but it had these sort of thonic or underworld fairy qualities, and it had this very broad spectrum of, um, of ways in which I interacted with it, and I had to do a lot of digging and a lot of work to really um, discern who the spirit was, and it took me quite a bit of time to get even the name. Um, So that was a big negotiation piece around um, around my contact. And I write about it extensively in, in the book and in, in my chapters on the book, how I went about that. So, um, and then also it, I had to really up my, um, my game of like, how am I gritting my space, my magical space and really, um, learning that discernment practice of like, what am I allowing in and what am I keeping out and why? Um, so, Certainly our psychomagical practices that we adopt to discern the spirits, to protect ourselves, to uh, to evoke and devoke, all of those different things are really come to bear in, in this practice. And um, and you don't just, you know, rush headlong into because we know, right, there are um, stories of incubi and succubi and deleterious entities that we uh, don't necessarily want to be um, allowing to sort of hang on or hang around us. So we learn our banishing rituals. We learn the things that 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 cleanse us and keep us in a enough of a um, zero, you know, a, a, a enough of our core and our center so that we can discern, is this an actual bene- benevolent entity or is it masquerading as something? And, you know, that goes into a whole um, art really of, of spirit communication. What is entheosis and how does it relate to spirit? Yeah, great. So entheosis means entheos or divine within. And it goes right back to what I was talking about, about the divine self. We each have a divine self that we are an physical expression of, um, or maybe even divine selves, right? We might have more than one deity that we are expressing at different times in our life. And this is a concept that's that's known in the ceremonial traditions. They call it knowledge and conversation with the holy guardian angel. In the Shakta tradition and the Tantric tradition, it's called the Ishta Devi or Ishta Devata. And the Vodou tradition, it's called the Matat. And it's kind of like who's your patron deity? Who's your patron guardian spirit? Um, and so what I like to say with um, folks who are curious about spirit marriage, but don't necessarily have a spirit that's asking to marry them. um, We all have a divine self that we can step into relationship with, that we can woo, that we can devote, that we can um, learn to discern their voice or their touch or their presence in our life. And that we can have that disciplined relationship with. And I think that, um, 
you know, certainly there are some ceremonialists that would say, no, well, you wouldn't marry your divine self. But um, I interviewed the Shakta Tantric, um, uh, a Shakta Tantric who is, in fact, married to the goddess Kali. And Kali is also her divine self. So it really just depends on how you orient around it and kind of the tradition that you're sitting in. Um, and then there's some ceremonialists that would say, yeah, you can absolutely marry your divine self, your holy guardian angel. That is uh, the, the spirit union par excellence, right? Um, so entheosis is the art and the practice of awakening the divine within and stepping into a deep bonded, committed relationship with that, that part of you. Do you or anyone else who has a spirit marriage expect to encounter the spirit on the other side when they finally transition? Well, that's a great question. I think that for many of us with spirit marriage, we already sort of walk between two worlds anyway. We're sort of all we already one foot in this world and one foot on the other side. Um, and certainly it would depend on how you constellate like your your belief in the afterlife, what happens to you after you die. Um, Orion, when I interviewed him about his fairy marriage to um, Bree, who's a fairy queen, said that he feels like he, he might be just absorbed back into her stream um, because that they're sort of merged. And so then when he crosses over from his physical form, he said, I could conceive that I might just sort of be reabsorbed back into her, right? Because she's in this, this um, powerful primordial state that she exists in. So yeah, I think it really just depends on um, the spirit that you're working with and the tradition that you're working within. All right, Dr. Rose, I need to switch gears because I'm running out of time. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Is it best to contact you through your website or Facebook or what? Um, there's a couple of different things. So people can, uh, I have a whole bunch of talks and things that I've given spirit marriage and spirit marriage related on my um, YouTube channel, which you can access through my website, which is drmeganrose.com. Um, I have a Facebook public facing group called Spirit Marriage Discussion Group, and you can go and post questions there. And um, I have a Spirit Marriage uh, 101 course that I offer, which is a self-study program that um, takes people through the practices and the content of spirit marriage. And as part of that self-study program, uh, people can uh, join a um, a group program that I run. That's an ongoing group program where we um, talk about spirit marriage. We can meet other practitioners and really get the support um, from the from me and from the spirit marriage community. And that's all available on drmeganrose.com. And I'll put the link to that and your YouTube channel in the video description. Fantastic. Do you have another book? that you're working on? And if not, is there anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? I don't have another book quite yet. I mean, I just 
you know, finished this project, which was, you know, like I said, a 10 year project. So I'm taking a little bit of a rest right now. Um, I do have the um, course materials and I have a mind to do uh, a study of spiritual intimacy um, with a, a more clinical study that I think we'll, I'll be doing after the first of the year with a colleague of mine who's a clinical sexologist. So um, that will probably be the next project that I undertake, a little more research-oriented, but then that'll spawn some different articles and things like that that we'll write about this. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yeah, I think that... Um, these kinds of spirit marriage relationships are catching the popular imagination and people are having these encounters right now because I think at key points in our history, these um, interceding relationships happen to sort of nudge us back onto the path of of co-creation and regeneration. Um, And so if you're having these experiences, if they're um, or if this topic is something that is um, piqued your curiosity, I just encourage you to, you know, check out my book, check out the materials and I'm open to the possibility that you may very well be beloved of and beloved by um, many, many beings that um, you have the potential to co-create with. Dr. Rose, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. I really appreciate you and I wish you success in whatever you're doing. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure to be here today. Likewise. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.